0: Welcome to Navigating Real Estate, where we discuss the skills, strategies, and success mindset you need to become a top-producing real estate broker. I'm your host, Ryan Bucola. Mortgage rates continue to dominate the headlines because of our office's connection to model mortgage cascades. We recently got the inside scoop on some changes that are coming and the impacts that are surprising. We're excited to have Mike Martin here with us today to break it down for us. Mike? Welcome. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. As branch manager of Motto Mortgage Cascades, Mike Martin brings extensive knowledge and experience to his clients. Since 1993, he has helped clients obtain financing for their dream homes. His experience with the diverse selection of lender programs available today helps his clients navigate the marketplace and optimize their loan decisions. From jumbo mortgages to conventional financing and first-time home buyer loans, Mike is with you every step of the way as you make the biggest financial decision of your life. All right. That's a big, uh, that's a big responsibility, Mike.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Most people's largest purchase, so we uh, help them obtain that.
0: 1993. You have seen some uh, ups and downs and uh, good runs.
1: Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Ups and downs, but more ups and downs. I've yeah. uh, seen some great market times and lots of home appreciation and times of record low rates and, you know, average rates. But that my whole career, we've never seen double digit rates for a typical rate. Right. That was do- those were dominated by the 80s. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've been fortunate.
0: I remember when I bought my first house the, in 2002, the interest rate was seven and a quarter. My dad, who's been a real estate broker since '78, was like, "That's a great rate. Jump on <laughs> it. Don't wait." So, anyways, what are some of the changes that are that are coming to the mortgage rates? And you know, what's the deal? What are you seeing?
1: So, you know, it's always hard to forecast mortgage rates. So, I don't like to get into that. You kind of do probabilities. Um, I think our highest probability this year we'll see interest rates, you know, dipping into low fives, high fours. You know, based on numerous. You know, guys, that's all they do all day long is try to forecast interest Mm -hmm. rates. Of course, in that probability, we never know what's going to happen. We saw, you know, 2020, we saw COVID change the whole rate scenario. 2022, Ukraine actually had some influence. And then the the government's continuing to do stimulus packages that are trying to wind down, but not quite. You know, that that can have some effect on rates. So we never know what's going to happen and what's going to be unexpected. But Highest probability we'll see some improving in rates this year. It's always really
0: interesting to see this, like how much speculation we hear about rates and how many, you know, everybody has an opinion, right? And all you have to do oh. is get on to like, you know, whatever news source it is that you want to look at, um, you know, you'll see. 10 different articles, about 10 different opinions about 10 different things. And, and um, it's always very interesting to me what I'm seeing today on the, on the purchase side of things is just how um, tied we are to rate decreases. The market's really, really sensitive to rates right now. What are you seeing?
1: You know, we're, we're seeing one, people are more comfortable with the, the rates at the levels they are uh, currently. Um, we've seen the rates drop roughly 1% from what we saw for a peak in October. Um, and that 1% drop translates to about a 10% decrease in a payment. Uh, so on a $500,000 loan, you know, that's about $300 uh, per month that someone's mm. saving on an interest rate today versus an interest rate they may have received in October. Uh, so that's encouraging and, you know, expectation to potentially see another percent drop over the next six to 12 months. Uh, that that'll help out as well. That's great.
0: What a challenging time to anticipate, you know, what's going to happen, you know, when we saw around mother's day last year where, you know, we saw, we really saw that rate start to jump and people were, you know, locked and loaded at three and all of a sudden we're at five and a half, six and can't qualify. I got non-refundable earnest money on the table. You know, what a squeeze, what a squeeze that that creates. Um, there's a new way of evaluating credit history that's probably surprising to a lot of borrowers in that process. Can you give us some specific examples of what what you're seeing on the mortgage side?
1: So on the, the mortgage side, what we're, we're seeing that's really newsworthy and it's a change that's going to happen is Fannie Mae's released a new table um, of adjustments to rates and points on a specific transaction. Uh, this takes effect May 1, but that's for loans that are delivered to Fannie Mae for sale on May 1. Uh, the actual lenders will have to have closed those loans at a minimum a couple weeks prior, and we'll see some lenders starting to implement these changes probably as soon as March first. Um, as a mortgage broker, we'll have a feel for which lenders are are. The latest to adopt because most of the changes are going to mean a little bit higher cost for for the borrower. What does that
0: look like from the borrower side? Like, what, you know, how does that show up on a settlement statement? How does that, what, what does that look like just in the process?
1: So, if we get nerdy and talk about the actual name of the adjustment, it's called a loan level price adjustment or it's risk based pricing. And the table has a column for the equity or the down payment. Uh, loan-to-value is what we refer to it as, and then a corresponding, you know, the other axis of the table has a credit score. So as you have more equity, your numbers get better. As you have a better credit score, your numbers get better. What we're seeing in this change that's going to surprise people is our our tiers as we go up used to stop at 740. So once you got to 740, better credit score wasn't uh, benefiting you for a, a Fannie Mae loan. Now we're seeing that tier go up to 780, um, and there's a 760 bracket. It's 20 point brackets. Mm-hmm. Um, and the difference on a 20% down 780 loan versus a 20% down 740 loan is a half discount point. Now, that's not the rate, that's the points associated with the loan. So on a $500,000 loan, that means $2,500 more in points. Typically, borrowers want to find a zero point loan. So to absorb that half point on a really good day, it's about an eighth of a percent in interest rate is what that means to the client. Today isn't a real pretty day to absorb that. It's actually a half percent in interest rate to wow. absorb a half percent in the, uh, that loan level price adjustment. And that's just for a 780 to a 740 credit score. And that bucket actually goes to 759. So someone with a 759 credit score versus 780, they're paying that much differential today. It'd be a half percent on rate or a half point on the point side uh, to, to absorb that differential. Let me ask you this. How many borrowers in
0: the 12-month period fall into that 780 category? Ballpark.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, my book of business, it's of those who think they're in that let's start there yeah 50 yeah. or greater think they're 780 and are absolutely confident of that 50 percent, probably another 50 percent of them aren't um and frequently it's because of where they're asking where they're seeing their credit score they're getting it from a credit card statement they're getting it from their bank statement they're getting a consumer based credit score that's used for credit cards unfortunately there's multiple credit score models along with three credit repositories Mortgage industry, we've got our own credit score model that can run a lot more conservative than what someone might see in the, the consumer-based model uh, and frequently does. So what do you think, what are some, some simple things that people, borrowers can do to manage their credit? So one of the big things we see when someone thinks they're at a 780, and even if they're at a 700 and they aren't, and they're maybe 20 or 30 or 40 points low, is they can adjust how they're managing their credit card balances if they have the capacity to do that. The most common scenario we see is someone thinks they've got a very excellent credit score, it turns out they have a 750. Still a very good credit score. However, on that new table, it's gonna mean a, a quite a bit of difference in their actual you know, loan products they're offered, rates, terms, etc. cetera. Uh, Usually when we see this, it's because they have a credit card balance that's greater than 20% of their limit. Um, And it can be just one credit card. It's not credit cards in aggregate across all of them. One credit card's over 20% of limit, meaning over $2,000 on a $10,000 limit credit card. And their credit score may easily drop 30 or 40 points. Interesting. Very interesting. So
0: the people that are rolling their cards, stacking their points, stuff like that, that's actually
1: detrimental to their score. Depending on how they manage it. Uh, if they manage it well and their credit report never reflects those higher balances, they're in great shape. However, what happens is typically a credit card is going to report on statement date. Not always. It can report other times of the month. The balance on that card is only going to report once or the balance on the card's is only going to uh, reflect once per month, not every day, it's not a live number. Right, it's not a rolling number. So the client has a $2,000 balance, they pay it off the day after statement date, reports on their credit report, it impacts their credit score for a full month. If that's over 20% utilization, meaning 20% of the balance, then they're gonna have a a differential in their credit score for the full month. And then for each increment higher, probably in 10% increments is what we guess, the actual algorithm isn't revealed to us by the credit repositories right. or the, the score makers, Fair Isaac being the most dominant one, but it's, um, we figure about every 10% more utilization is more detrimental. someone gets up to near max, their credit score is going to dive. If they go over max, it'll dive 100 points off of an 800 credit no score. No kidding.
0: No kidding. Wow. Crazy. So I see, you know, my credit score on a monthly bank statement.
1: Is that the same as the credit score you'd use for a mortgage application? It's a totally different credit score. Um, they may trend in a similar manner, but frequently we see those credit scores uh, be higher. And a few things mortgage credit scores don't like, they don't like collections. Uh, they don't like and that, more that's more odd. So. Yeah, That's odd. Yeah, right? <laughs> more so than the consumer. And when we say they don't like collections, they don't like that small lab bill that no one ever got mailed to you because it went to your neighbor's house. It was seventy dollars. Mm. A seventy dollar collection from that lab that you never knew existed, and you're perfect everywhere else. It can take an eight hundred credit score and take it to the bottom of the seven hundreds, wow. and then the person doesn't know about it until I run credit and say, "Hey, did you know?" And then. So how long, you know, something like that, how long does it take to repair that? You know, collections are slower to um, have impact on a a credit score. Uh, Typically, you know, once it gets zeroed out, um, that can potentially decrease a credit score, which is fascinating. Um, But what happens is frequently the credit or the collection account has not reported on the credit report in a long period of time, and that brings it up to a new reporting of there was a recent collection, and then it was paid. Mm. So it's a peculiar situation, but on collections, you really start to see recovery about six months down the road on a credit score. On the credit card side, as soon as the balances get below those thresholds, most of the credit score recovers immediately upon the first reporting. You figure the credit card reports every 30 days. Sometimes it's a little longer in the cycle, but in general, you'd figure about 30 days later, you're going to see your credit score start to improve. There is some trended credit data where the credit scoring model looks at historical balances, but the biggest piece of it is, what are those credit card balances today? Mm. Another fascinating piece of that is it's not on the dollar volume of that. So if we have a small balance department store type credit card, $500 limit, we take $300 out on it to buy you know, a pair of shoes and a pair of jeans and a few other things, hopefully. Um, that's going to have the same impact as a $3,000 balance on a $5,000 credit interesting.
0: card. Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. So Mike, given the current market conditions... What uh,
1: tips can you give borrowers to, to best manage their credit? Sure. I mean, given the situation we were in with the newer rate tables and adjustments, it's more critical now than ever to optimize credit. Obviously, making payments on time. That's where we start with it. But then there's little nuances within that. Um, making the, the critical payments, installment loan payments on time is the, the biggest one, and then revolving, et cetera. Um, getting your credit looked at early in the process so that they're If there is opportunity to improve your credit score, we're going to discuss that if I see something obvious. Um, We have a credit score simulator that can also help in that process. And we found it to be very effective in letting people know how to optimize credit. Um, Getting a true mortgage credit report versus something they find on their bank statement. Obviously, that's an important one. Uh, Optimizing, you know, minimizing credit card balances in relation to limits, minimizing credit card balances overall. Um, Never letting credit cards at any point in the month get over 20% of their utilization rate, if that's possible. Even if you are paying off monthly, it does matter that the the card could report a a higher balance in that 20% at some point in the month. Um, Making sure there aren't collection accounts um, judgments um, you know you had a a potential small claims court that you owed someone five hundred dollars and that judgment never fell off it was a you know some minor incident and uh, that judgment never fell off your credit report that can have a significant impact on a credit score tax liens i've got a scenario right now it's a divorce scenario one partner decided that they weren't going to pay the taxes for a while and they control all the money in the household it looks like there's probably going to be a tax lien on their credit report that's going to show up because it's been a few years and that's what they've been notified of. That's going to have a dramatic impact on their credit score. So paying your taxes Mm -hmm. uh, can have a significant impact. So it sounds like living under your means and paying your bills on time. That optimizes a credit score. But that doesn't mean for a mortgage that you have to have lived and played a perfect credit life. Um, There are programs for a wide range of profiles, and we're happy to – take a look at where someone is today. And then we can also help give some pointers on how do we optimize into the future and what, what's that mean? Fantastic. So Mike, there's a lot of apps out
0: there, you know, like credit karma, some other things where you can, you know, punch in your information and you
1: can get your credit report. How, how accurate are those? Well, they're, they're accurate for the credit score model that they're depicting. Um, What we're looking at is a mortgage credit score model, and we're actually looking at a little more than just one credit score when we do a mortgage. So for Credit Karma, it's accurate for a consumer-based credit score model. However, that's not what the mortgage world uses. That's not what the auto industry uses. Every genre of lending has their own credit score models. And in the mortgage world, we're using some older models that pick on some things like student loan late payments, uh, collections, and are a little more sensitive to a few different areas. And the goal of any credit score model is for the side of the industry they're serving is figure out what the default rate or what the risk is on the loan. So the profile of someone who will default on a car loan is going to look a little different than someone who would default on a home loan. Uh, Mortgage scores, we're looking at all three credit repositories. Then we take the middle credit score of those three credit repositories. So someone may have a great score on one repository like Equifax, and their other two credit scores aren't as good. And I ran into this real recently. We had a client that had a 780 on Experian. The other two scores were in the 720s. It had a pretty significant impact on what we could do at that time. Fortunately, the client was early enough in the process when we ran credit that we were able to pay off a credit card that he used to pay some business expenses on and get a credit score up to put that client into the optimal bucket, uh, optimal rate and points scenario. Interesting. So
0: let's say if borrowers do borrowers do everything, right? What kind of savings are we talking about?
1: Well, it depends on how far out of the parameters we are, but hmm. when we're talking really minor adjustments, it will mean thousands of dollars on a mortgage interest or it'll mean, you know, an eighth to half percent on an interest rate just for, for some minor adjustments.
0: Hmm. Interesting. When somebody, when a buyer comes to you and starts that process, how do you um, sit down and analyze that file, take into account their financial situations, you know, get all that stuff together and figure out what the, you know, how do we maximize our borrowing capability with what's available in front of us today? Uh, What's your process look like? How do you do that?
1: You know, the, the base process starts with a conversation, um, you know, no obligation, just, hey, let's, let's talk about your big picture. Uh, a lot of lenders like to start with, let's get a full application, run credit, get all your stuff, and then let's start talking. I, I like to have a more general conversation because sometimes we can start to, you know, direct someone much earlier, much easier in the process. Plus, we also have, you know, less resistance to... To the conversation. Working through a big application can sound, you know, concerning to people. Frequently, I work through half the application in a casual conversation and we just have to fill in holes. Once I've got the big picture, I can start, you know, advising on how to structure a loan. Uh, that's really the next piece of what loan programs make sense, what structuring makes sense. Uh, we look at, does a little bit more down payment help someone's scenario? Uh, A common one is a 3% down conventional loan versus a 5% conventional loan. You'll recover that 2% extra down payment very rapidly in the additional expenses on the 3% down loan. Now, if someone doesn't have the additional, it makes sense to do a lower down, but uh, that's one that I commonly have the conversation with, get a little more down and we're going to see a rate savings, we'll see mortgage insurance savings, uh, and their overall situation will be... Good, better for the entire process. The next step in in the the qualification process after we've had the general conversation is working through the formal loan application. We're going to get social security numbers, dates of birth, et cetera, um, real specific employment information, uh, work through the application, run credit, and then automated underwriting for most scenarios. Automated underwriting is a computer-based model that looks at someone's overall profile and says yes or no this loan will get approved. The human underwriter's role in most scenarios now is just to make sure that the client meets guidelines. The human underwriter isn't making a risk decision in most mortgage situations. There are some portfolio programs or some oddball programs where human underwriting really does look at the risk on the file. But for the most part, the underwriter is just doing the job of looking at- Checking the boxes, making sure everything's there. Program says, I need a dollar for income, and they have a dollar for income. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's not going to qualify you for much, but that's what the the human underwriter does. The computer, the automated underwriting, really looks at the risk profile and decides for this level of income this and this scenario for the borrower, they can qualify for whatever dollar amount. Yeah.
0: The general headline this week has been um the last couple of weeks is mortgage applications are way up, like 25 to 30 percent, depending on on the news source. What are you seeing here in Central Oregon?
1: Um so we're we're definitely seeing an uptick. There's definitely more phone traffic. Uh typically the first week of the year, I see my phone traffic pick up. I didn't see that this year, but I did uh, oh the I guess the second, third, third week of this year is really where I saw my phone traffic start to pick up. Um, we have the planners that start to call generally this time of year. And I often joke that my January applicants are my October closes and my October applicants are my October closes. (laughs) It's because October people are looking at, Hey, here comes winter. I got to get my house. Yes. We're going to buy a house and we haven't yet. And then the people that are the super planners are kind of in the same boat too. So everyone converges on September and October. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of years. Good. But we started getting those calls right. um, in the last 10 days or so. Uh, so yeah, we're definitely seeing more volume. I haven't run a numbers at 28%. I've seen that headline, Yeah, but it's better. Yeah. Good. Good.
0: Um, as, uh, you know, as we kind of slide into, we're moving into selling season here, traditional selling season, um, rates are up from where they were six months ago, considerably prices really haven't come down that much. We've seen some correction. Um, we're seeing some inventory be stale. Um, what, what are you using? What are you seeing today? That's helping people that have kind of moved out of the shell shock of, I'm no longer at 3%. I'm here at 6%. The house that I want to buy was 950. Maybe now it's 900 How are you, what, what products are you seeing out there to help people buy that house?
1: Yeah, so they can structure it in a few different ways to, to help ease some of that, you know, differential they're seeing with the, the higher interest rates. Um, buy downs have become very common where they weren't. Uh, If we go back 12 months ago and prior for years prior to that. Uh, So an interest rate buy down comes in two different flavors. There's a permanent buy down, which most people are familiar with, where you pay points. A point is a fee that's a percentage of loan amount. One point equals 1% of loan amount in fee. That's not a rate adjustment. It's in a fee adjustment. Um, And they forever get a lower rate. The actual amount of points it takes down to buy a a rate by a specific amount varies on a daily basis and generally varies It'll over time. uh, It takes a while for those spreads to vary. Uh, Right now, one point will buy you down, uh, depending on where on the rate table, Um, it it can be half percent to three quarters of a percent. And then we usually hit a wall where, Takes a whole lot to buy down, even in the eighth of a percent. Uh, so this is where the the mortgage professional looks at the rate table, figures out, okay, here's your your what we refer to as best best execution interest rates, mm-hmm. um, where it makes the most sense where you get value for what you pay. The other type of buy down that we look at are uh, per, are temporary buy downs. Temporary buy-down is uh, referred to frequently. A 2-1 buy-down is one that people hear the most often, but there are other flavors of it. This is where you get a lowered interest rate for a period of time, and then you end up at a, a permanent fixed interest rate that was determined upfront. A little different than a classic adjustable rate where you don't know where that long-term rate is. Right you already have it predefined. So looking at that, what a 2-1 buy-down is, it's a 2% reduction in interest rate for the first year, 1% for the second year, and then you go to your permanent interest rate. Typically, what we're seeing is those are done when there's a seller incentive involved, uh, sellers offering concessions, uh, paying closing costs, and they'll pay for those temporary buy-downs. Functionally, in the background, what it is, it's a a subsidy savings account that reduces the monthly payment by that amount uh, each month. And what's really cool about them is, structured with the correct lenders in the correct way, if a client doesn't get to the end of that temporary buy-down period, that subsidy is refunded to them.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Well, I think, you know, as a broker, it's really important to align ourselves as brokers with solid mortgage brokers that know how to push the numbers, that know how to work the the programs and, um, you know, can really have the experience to know how to work through these shifts in the marketplace because we all know that in these market shifts, this is where as hard as they are on people, this is where opportunity happens, you know? And so you really have to have as a, as a real estate broker, you have to have your team in place so you can, you know, I can call you and say, Hey Mike, here's this borrower. Here's this property. This is what we like. How do we best execute this? And know that we're getting experience. Know that we're getting the right answers. Know that we're not just like, well, we can, you know, that, you know, that, we're getting solid solid investment opportunities, and it's really great. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. It's so interesting to see the impacts today that we're seeing in this marketplace because, you know, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, we are in a spot where we have never seen these kind of rate hikes before in the history of, you know, modern society. I mean, we've doubled interest rates in very short order, and um pretty fascinating time. If you're looking for a smart, creative lender with the ability to think outside the box, save you money and close the deal, give Mike at Motto Mortgage Cascades a call. There's none better. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. All
0: right. Thank you for joining us on Navigating Real Estate. Listen, follow, drop us a review. Your feedback means a lot. And if you like what you're hearing, make sure to share it.